Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse 33, as I've already alluded to, this is picking up following the great cry that arose from the Egyptians. There was not a, a household that did not experience the visit from the destroyer. And as we said last week, it was either the lamb that died or the firstborn. And, and what a... What a what a heart-rending time for the Egyptians. And so, verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people, the Israelites, to send them out of the land of Egypt in haste. For the Egyptians said, we shall all be dead. So the Israelites took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulder. The people in Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they ask. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all of the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. It shall be not taken. You shall not take out any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And all the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. This is the word of the Lord. I want to dive into the topic of freedom this morning. Uh, if some of you are read or looked at the Friday letter, you, you may have seen uh, the quote by Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, who said, the best question to be asking is not, are you happy? Am I happy? 
as we are evaluating our Christian life, we're thinking about discipleship, that question is not necessarily going to lead us in the best pathways. But the question that we should be asking is, am I free? And as we begin to think about it, we may say, well, absolutely, we just celebrated Independence Day. Of course I, I'm free. I, I live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. Well, that's a type of freedom. Uh, and as we've heard already this morning, there are also many types of slavery. There are addictions and there are uh, ideologies, ways of thinking that, that keep us constrained and keep us down and, and keep us in. So we see why the, the question, am I happy, can maybe lead us in, in a wrong direction. But the question, am I free, can really help us to deal with things at, at the heart level. This is why Paul talks about this in places like Galatians. He's saying, don't give yourselves over again to the yoke of slavery. That's not leading you closer to the heart of God. That's not leading you where uh, God would desire to have you, but rather step out into freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in that freedom. But what does freedom look like? I want to give us uh, a couple of way stations as we work our way through Exodus chapter 12. And in a nod to our friend Steve Holliday, I even left a couple of blanks uh, in there for you to fill in. The first thing is this. Freedom is something to be grasped. Freedom is something to be grasped. What do I mean by this? Well, notice the emphasis in this passage on the haste with which the Israelites are ejected from the land of Egypt. It says uh, that they were thrust out of the land uh, in verse, whatever verse that was. <laughs> uh, oh, verse, sorry, there we go, I found it. Verse 39. The Egyptians thrust them out of the land. In verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Uh, God knew that this was going to happen. In fact, ahead of time, he had told the Israelites back in chapter 12, verse 11, when you eat the Passover, uh, do it with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand. Because there was going to be this emergency in the land of Egypt that was going to cause the Egyptians to eject you, to thrust you out of their land in, in great haste. We're told a couple of times in verse 41 and in verse 51, it's emphasized that it was that very day. It was the day after the Passover, the day after the destroyer had visited the homes in Egypt, that very day that the Israelites were forced to leave. And when we see that, when we hear that emphasis, what we are reminded of here, what the principle I believe that, that God would have us wrestle with when it comes to our freedom, is that when you are set free, when there is an avenue open for you to go, you go. You do not dally in Egypt. It does no good if you are a slave to continue in the land that has kept you enslaved. 
Why is it that God emphasizes it? Why is it that God prepped his people so that they would be ready to go in that instant? Because he knows our hearts. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we would say, I need this reminder because I am a dallier. I, I, I like to stay around in these areas that keep me enslaved, even though I, I know the danger. There was recently a report uh, about this woman. Her name is, hold on, right sheet of paper. Her name is Kim McLean. She has traveled to hard-hit cities and towns to understand why people get killed in storms that she says really should be survivable as long as people get to the right shelter. She says, we give people days of alert that their general region may be threatened, but people inevitably dally. People wait until the storms get quite close, until they decide to actually take the precautions that they need to take or to even leave. People are doing what we call confirming the threat. When we look at the Israelites in Egypt, the threat is very real. Pharaoh is killing their firstborn children. They are slaved. They are a nation that has been enslaved for 430 years, and yet we know how hard and how difficult it was for the Israelites to even leave Egypt. Were it not for the emergency that God created, were it not for the preparations that he had put into place, they, they might have stayed. We know that in just a couple of chapters they're saying, oh, I wish we were back in the land of Egypt by the meat pots. Uh, they were so taken. You know, when they come to the, uh, to, the, to the wilderness and they have to worship God, they, they want a cow, they want the gods of Egypt. We are dalliers by nature. And, and so much of it, you know, just as, as Bill uh, shared with us, shows up in, in our own slavery, our, our addictions. You know, when we are, are here this morning, you know, the fact that Bill was able to share with us uh, about addictions just opens up the conversation that we say, we know that we are a, a, a congregation filled with addictions. Uh, some of it are the, the vices that we ordinarily associate with addictions. Uh, there are people here, I'm sure, that are struggling with illicit drug use. Uh, whether that be the kinds that are now legal in, in Michigan uh, or the, the opiates or whatever it might be. There are people that struggle with addictions in those, in those places. People struggling with addictions to, to alcohol. People struggling with addictions to sex. We think about all of those things that we are addicted to. But then there are these new addictions. There are addictions to our phones uh, and, and checking whatever it might be that we are checking on our phones. I mean, the, the data that is coming out about the ways that it is altering our brains and behavior is incontrovertible. And yet, you know, we, we dally in some of these areas. There are addictions uh, to social media. 
You know, how many likes did I get? How many little hearts on my Insta? We, we keep checking these things. There is an addiction in these areas. And then there are things that are, are, are more acceptable. I mean, these are the addictions that don't even have any type of bad names. Things like perfectionism, people-pleasing, uh, keeping the peace around us in a false sort of way, competence, control, achievement. You know, these are the addictions. These are the, the areas in which our heart repeatedly clings to, relies on, flees to, finds satisfaction in these things that are other than God. John Cyrus, who is a pastor who lost his 29-year-old daughter to a drug overdose, uh, just reflecting on addictions, addictions and the church, uh, the slavery, the freedom, all of these things that we're talking about. He says this, the shame of, an ident- of identifying as a struggler is often too great. But it's in the light of God's grace within safe and loving community that we will find freedom from our addictions. Our churches must be safe places for those obviously wrecked as well as safe places for those scrambling to cover their wounds, their scars, and their struggles. In other words, our churches need to be safe places for the younger brothers as well as the older brothers. But we have to acknowledge that we are all dependent on the Father's love and acceptance. He goes on to say, too often I fear that our churches are like the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal, sneering at the wrecked life, being warmly welcomed by his Father. But addicts don't need judgment. They need Jesus, just like I do. It's time that we recognize that addiction is all around and even within the reach of each one of us. One of the things that God wants us to see in the story of the Israelites is that when you are given the opportunity to be set free, to go out of Egypt. Don't dally. Acknowledge, repent, confess what you're struggling with. Get others around you. You heard Bill say it was friends that supported him, that pointed him in the right direction. Don't bury it under a load of of false shame or, or shame that... But, but find the help that you need in order to, to leave because we recognize we, we are all there. We are all addicted to something. We are all struggling with our work. Again, these, there are so many things that are addictions that are, 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 are celebrated even among us. But God is saying, when you have the opportunity to leave Egypt, Leave it. Don't dally. Now, points two and three, I, I think, encourage us even more, but, but not so much sort of with a, a negative, you know, if you have the opportunity to leave, leave. Uh, don't turn back. Because who you are turning to is a very 
gracious and kind God. And the second thing that I want us to observe about this is that when we see freedom, as we step into freedom, one of the things that God wants us to see is that freedom is something to be shared. Freedom is something to welcome others into. We really see that in verses 43 to 49 here in this text. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. Now, why is he giving this again? If you look back at the beginning of 12, you see all of these instructions for the Passover. Uh, the first 13 verses and then beginning in verse 14 to 20, you have the instructions for the unleavened bread. So now the Passover has happened. They've just celebrated it for the first time. Now they're out of Egypt and God comes back to them and says... I want you to think about the Passover, and I want you to, to keep it. Why is he saying that? Is it just simply repetition? Well, we know repetition is good, and I am sure that that is part of it. God wants them to get in their mind that God is the one who has delivered them, has passed over, and has brought them into freedom. But there's an emphasis here in 43 to 49 that is really delightful. And the emphasis is this. It's on those who are non-Israelites. Throughout, there's the emphasis on the slave. You see that here. Every slave that is bought for money may eat of the Passover after you have circumcised him. Then there's words about the foreigners and the sojourners. Verse 48, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised that he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat it. And then verse 49, God emphasizes this and he says one law. There is one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Now, why is it that God is given, giving this instruction about incorporating those who are slaves, those who are uh, sojourners and foreigners among Israel? Well, look at verse 38. The people, they journeyed out. There's about 600,000 men and women on foot, or men on foot besides the women and children. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with a lot of livestock, flocks, and herds. What is this mixed multitude? Well, what we know is that when the people left Egypt, it wasn't just the Israelites that went. Uh, there were other folks that went with them. The Egyptians had other folks enslaved uh, besides the Israelites. We know in their midst from stories that will come later on that there are Cushites in their midst. There are Midianites in their midst. And we've also observed as we walked through the plagues that there were Egyptians that were learning to fear Yahweh. And we, we know that there are Egyptians as well who are going out in the exodus from the land of Egypt to the promised land. And one of the things that God wants to emphasize right away is he says there's no division. There are, whether you were a slave or whether you are a free man, you are free to come to the Passover 
regardless of your social status. Whether you are a Cushite or an Israelite, you are free to come to the Passover regardless of your social status. Yes, you follow Yahweh. Yes, you follow the ways that he lays it out. You get circumcised. You know, you celebrate the Passover in the way that we have celebrated the Passover. But there is to be no distinction between peoples in the covenant community of God. And this is just such a beautiful picture of the welcome, the belonging that we all experience when we come out of slavery into freedom. You know, God's church is no respecter of people's. We're not looking for those who are the beautiful people. We're not looking for those who are gifts and have gifts and are talented. We're not looking for those who can contribute at a certain level. We're, we're looking for those who are finding refuge in Yahweh. And if we find refuge in Yahweh, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been addicted or divorced or whatever it might be. You are welcome in that community of God. And God will constantly remind His people of this. He says, welcome the foreigner and the alien that is within your gates. Because remember, you too were once foreigners and aliens. You too were once slaves. You too were once alienated from God, but now you have been brought near. That same language, they shall be brought near. This is what the Apostle Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 2. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When we recognize our slavery and the fact that we've been delivered from the slavery, we say, welcome all who would come to the feast. Welcome all who would find their way to Yahweh's table because we too, we too know what it's like to be slaves. And we too know what it's like to be foreigners. And we too know what it's like to be redeemed. And redemption is to be shared. The third thing that we observe from this text is that as much as redemption is to be grasped, we turn our back on Egypt, we look toward the promised land. As much as redemption is to be shared, it's, a, it's arms extended wide open. Redemption for God's people, freedom, is to be. It's, it's to be. It's to be the people that God has made us to be. It is to be His image bearers that He has placed in us by creation, male and female. He created us in order that we might image Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be His emissaries. And He wants to demonstrate in the exodus, in our being led out of slavery into freedom, that He has not forgotten that He has put us here to be His people. How do we see that? Well, there's a lot of kindness here by the Lord. And honestly, there's kindness even in the way the Lord has orchestrated our service this morning in having Bill Host share his testimony. 
Because one of the key terms in this text, and I would love to say that I had planned this out, uh, but God is way kinder than I am smart. Uh, one of the key terms is host. You see it there in 41 and 51. Uh, at the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. 51, and on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Now, why is that significant? It's just a word for a lot of people, right? Well, not necessarily. When we talk about Yahweh being the Lord of hosts, what we're saying is that He is the commander of His armies. Host is a military term. Uh, And so we recognize here what God is saying is that He is leading His people out to be his emissaries, to be his empire builders, to be the the ones who will go out and and proclaim the good news of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, in the face of an empire who would subject and who would push down the message of the Lord of hosts. Uh, and, And what's so amazing about this is you would think, I mean, you would use any other word to describe the Israelites. The Israelites were a slave nation. Uh, This is a little bit like taking those who have been in concentration camps coming out and standing against the Germans. You know, they, they are beaten down. They've been stripped of everything. They are emaciated in their being. They're, they're malnourished, underfed, all of these different things. And you expect them to stand against the mightiest nation in the world. But this is what we call a longitudinal theme. It, it runs all the way through Scripture. And it's this. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God's not interested in what we can give. In fact, you know, over and over we see God with Gideon, you know, going up against 10,000 Midianites. I've got, you know, uh, or 100,000 Midianites. I've got 10,000 people, too many. Well, how about 1,000? Too many. How about 500? Too many. How about 300? Okay. You're about small enough now. You can go out. It's it's this theme of God using the things that are backwards. God using the things that are weak. God uses a slave nation to plunder the Egyptians, the most powerful nation in the world. We see that there in this passage, uh, verse 36. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Again, a military idea. Uh, God is using these folks. He plunders through the weak. He doesn't have them take up arms. He actually, if you read back, you know, as we've been listening to this story, he tells the women uh, of the nation to go ask their neighbors, which, again, you know, in that society, the men were the ones that did the fighting. The men were the ones who took up arms. And, and, and God is showing you and He's showing me 
that he can be trusted, that he is powerful. Like, I don't need your gifts. I don't need your strength. I don't need your intellect. I don't need your money. I don't need any of that stuff. My will, my gracious intention, my wonderful sovereignty that will lead you out of slavery into the promised land. I will take the weakest of the weak. I'll take the women of a slave nation and I will plunder the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. Isn't our God wonderful? It's amazing how he comes and reminds us time after time after time that he is good and that he is gracious in order to do these things. And incidentally, uh, he gives them everything that they'll need for their journey. I mean, how, how is the slave nation going to make it you know, in their journey through the wilderness? A, a journey, incidentally, that will end up taking 40 years because of their, their disobedience. Well, he gives them everything that they need. You need some new clothes? Let's get rid of all of these tattered clothes. Go ask the Egyptians. They'll give you some clothes. You need some money to finance this journey for all of these people? Go ask the Egyptians. They'll give you pottery and bowls that you can take in your camping rucksack. You can uh, take the gold and the silver in order to, to trade for goods along the way. God knows what we need. And He has promised to give it to us. The next couple of weeks we're talking about freedom this week. Next week is going to be formation, how God forms his people. And, and then we'll see following, how, how God's presence leads us as we go. God knows what we need. And how much more so for you and for me. Paul picks up on this. The book of Romans, which we're going to look at a little bit this fall, the book of Romans is is interesting in the way that it, it corresponds to the Exodus. And when you get to chapter 8, Paul says this, what, what shall we say to these things, to the questions that are raised, to the promise of the Spirit? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God knows what you need on your journey. And he has promised through what may appear to be weakness, the weakness of coming together and sitting for a time and praising God and listening to his word, the weakness of serving those around us. He's, he's promised that He's going to give us what we need. He will graciously give us all things. Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is going to condemn the people of God? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now seated at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Listen to these things and see if they do not apply to Israel in the wilderness. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all of this, we are more than conquerors through Christ who has given himself for us. Do you see now why the question is so important? It's not are you happy 
But are you free? Have you become free in that you are surrendered to the Lord Jesus? That you are following Him as He leads? That He is the Lord of hosts of your life? That He is your captain? He is your champion? He is the one who is stepping forward for you? Are you free? If anyone is in Christ, he is free indeed, says the, the apostle. You are a new creation. It, the, the question isn't, you know, how much are you like Christ? The question is, to what degree are you in Christ? That's Paul's favorite saying. And, and so, as we think about this, it's not about our obedience. It's not about you know, did we get it all right? It's not about, you know, have I exercised all of my addictions and my demons? The question is, are we connected to the one who's leading? Are we connected to our Savior? The one who gave his life, died for us. But even more than that, Paul says, rose again so that we could be free. He trod the ultimate depths of slavery in order to bring us into that marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, are you free? As we started with Bill's story, it's the encouragement to us that no matter where you are, how old you are, how, how young you are, you know, 67, the best years are behind you. Not even true. And Moses was 80, and he was just getting at his work. But we are always, always invited into the wonderful, beautiful freeness, the freedom that Christ offers to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for the gospel in which you have taken our slavery uh, nailed it to the cross, and given us a blessed freedom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to step into that, live in that, turning our backs towards Egypt, turning our faces towards the promised land, knowing that you are our king, knowing that you are the Lord of hosts. And Lord, we do pray that you would give us the confidence that you are leading us uh, in kind ways, besides still waters, even if we recognize that sometimes it is through a wilderness uh, with difficulties still arise, may we know that you are leading us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.